It's down to Roxon and Cashmore. They are off the world record time, certainly. But Roxon wants it desperately. Cashmore wants it just as desperately. But I think it's Roxon who's got the stronger finish here. Canada might have yet another medal. It is Roxon who's surging to the front. Cashmore will be denied the goal she does so dearly desired. Roxon takes gold. No successful athlete reaches their goal without the help of others. Teammates, coaches, family, and friends play a huge role in every athlete's trajectory. And for the world's best athletes, this requires an even deeper level of support, as training for the Paralympics or Olympics is a serious commitment. And without the support of those closest to you, it's a ridiculously hard path to walk alone. While family support is common at the elite level, it's unusual to see an athlete's parent or family member be their primary coach. If and when it does happen, the dynamic can be incredible to witness. My name is Katarina Roxon. I'm a three-time Paralympic swimmer from Canada. And my father is Leonard Roxon, who is my coach. Leonard Roxon, I'm a physiotherapist by profession. Coaching is a hobby and uh, yeah, I love it. I'm one of the probably very few elite coaches in the world who uses swim coaching as a hobby not as a profession. <laughs> Leonard and his wife, Lisa, are originally from India and relocated to Newfoundland, an island on Canada's east coast. Given that they lived on an island, Leonard and Lisa enrolled Katarina and older sister Miranda in swimming. Katarina was five and Miranda six. In Leonard and Lisa's view, they couldn't live on an island and not know how to swim. By the way, at the time, Leonard did not know how to swim. We were new to Canada, and I didn't know how to swim. My wife knows how to swim. We live in an island with the ocean around us. So I said, it'll be good for the kids, both of the kids to learn how to swim, just in case. And <laughs> the first week she hated, absolutely hated the water. We put all those floaties and uh, life jacket and everything just to make her feel safe. No, didn't make a bean of a difference. She screamed her lungs out for the first week. And after that, I don't know what happened. Just, just like that changed. Leonard's background as a physiotherapist gives him a unique advantage as he's able to meticulously analyze the biomechanics of Katerina's form and technique, how she moves and how she can be more efficient. But even beyond the technical part of coaching, he's been able to witness up close and personal the capabilities that Katarina possesses. And he knew early on that she could be something truly special. When she was 10 years old, she broke the able-bodied provincial record by 26, 200 meter butterfly able-bodied provincial record by 26.3 seconds with one arm, right? That was probably the turning point for me on how I started viewing Katarina as an athlete. It was then that I knew that she was destined for greatness. Seeing the potential that Katarina had as a swimmer, Leonard started thinking ahead and he learned about the Paralympics. When he asked a local coach about the likelihood of Katarina one day going to the Paralympics, the other coach didn't exactly seem too optimistic. Dad asked a coach from another province what the probability of me going to the Paralympics was. And he said that it's a nice dream to have, 
but maybe keep it realistic. I think that that fueled dad a bit. <laughs> it was basically dad who planted the seed about the Paralympics and got me classified, got me to swim meets, got me to swim meets across the province and across the country. And so he was basically what started the whole journey. Katerina and Leonard aren't the only swimmers in the Roxon family. Katerina's mom and sister are also swimmers and have been heavily involved in her training over the years. My sister was great at being a, a swim partner for me to have, and we would have fun with it. And when times my dad was working away, my mom would step up and coach us as well. So she'd go to work, go straight to the pool right after we were done school, right after she was done work, coach us for two hours. We'd go home, repeat that cycle, and then dad would come home on the weekends and then he would take over. And then once my sister graduated high school, she went off to university for a year. She came home the year before the London 2012 Paralympic Games, and I didn't have a club, and so I was training by myself, just dad and myself. So she decided to take a year off of university, come home, and help me train that year to get ready for the Paralympic Games. She's absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. And then my mom, she fixed my butterfly for, I think, four years straight. I kept getting disqualified in the butterfly because in butterfly, you have to be your shoulders and your arms have to be leveled. And because I have one arm, I was very like crooked. We call mom, the butterfly mom's baby because she fixed that one up real good. <laughs> Katerina swims with the Canadian national team. And in the 2016 Rio Paralympics, she brought home her first gold medal in the 100-meter breaststroke, breaking a Canadian record. I finished the race, touched the wall, realized that I won, and it wasn't just that, oh my gosh, I won the gold medal. It was me looking back at all the years, all the people, all the hard work, all the sacrifices that myself, my family, my friends, we had to make to get to this point and to be able to win that medal, to get that medal was, it, for me, it was like a weight off my shoulders for the last, like what, 13, 14 years? It, it was just an amazing, absolutely amazing feeling. When I stood on the podium, when I received my medal, I honestly thought that all the people that were standing behind me, supporting me, they were standing on the podium with me. And that just brought me to tears. As soon as I heard the national anthem, it just brought me to tears. I couldn't even get through the anthem. <laughs> it was just, it was a very emotional moment. And I honestly, I just thought of everyone back home being there with me. And when Katerina says everyone who was back home, that included her immediate family, her mom, dad, and sister, who due to unfortunate circumstances needed to stay in Canada and watch the games from home. We had booked our flight, booked our hotel room and everything. And five days before we were supposed to leave, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. So we decided to stay back. The doctor wanted to do surgery immediately and we did not want to tell her. They told me they decided not to come. And so, and I understood that from my perspective, I thought it was, be, well, it's Rio de Janeiro. And from the Olympic games, we heard there was lots of violence and whatnot going on, with, like the tourists that were coming in. So I thought it was because of that. I didn't know 
anything till I came home, and then they told me the whole thing. I was like, oh was, my, I was so upset. She was pissed. I was very shocked they left me out of that. I'm like, you still could have told me. And they're like, no, you had a race. You had to focus on that. So right after the race, my wife went and had a surgery and thank God she's doing great now. She said, you guys left me out of the family. <laughs> <laughs> right? And, and then she, she, she got to the case with her sister and said, you broke the sister bond. Mm. I said, what's the sister bond? Sisters tell each other everything. Everything. There's no, there's nothing hidden. You broke the sister, sister bond. I'm not going to forget. <laughs> In addition to learning about the Roxons' family dynamic, I learned that back in 2012, Leonard proposed the idea to Katerina of swimming for India instead of Canada. Within one year of living in India, Katerina would have been eligible to compete and represent the country that both of her parents grew up in. And Leonard's argument for doing so was rich with reasoning. India pays a lot more to its Paralympic medalists. 2012... When Karina finished London, I told her, why don't you swim for India? And I was looking at it strictly as a profession because it costs a lot of money to be in swimming because U.S. and Canada does not pay. At least America pays a little bit more than Canada. Well, I'll give an example. The prize money she got from Canada was $750. In India, a Paralympic high jumper who won the gold in Rio, got $2 million. India was one of the highest paying countries in the world. For a gold medal, I think the government gave the gold medalist about $630,000 US for that one gold medal. And I looked at it purely from a financial perspective, looking at it as a profession. She told me, she said, Dad, I'm a Canadian. I would feel disloyal. It was a hard decision to make, but for me, I was born in Canada, I grew up in Canada, and it's, it felt like I was going to betray Canada. I haven't spent time in India as much to feel that true connection to India. And I mean, of course, financially, it would, be, it would have been absolutely amazing. I'm happy with my decision to stay in Canada, to train with in Canada, and to, to race and compete for Canada. I'm, I'm very patriotic being a Canadian. I'm super proud of that. And when it comes down to it, I think that definitely trumped the financial aspect of it. This is a sentiment that Lisa, Katerina's mother, reiterated. Canada is her home. Her roots are here. She strongly holds on to the Canadian flag. <laughs> I wanted to better understand what it meant to represent Team Canada. So I sat down with the CEO of the Canadian Paralympic Committee, Karen O'Neill. I would say pride. I would say accomplishment. I would say world's best. And, and so oftentimes when people see our Paralympic athletes on the podium, there's that moment in time and definitely, obviously, you know, recognition of a world-class performance. But what's really most inspiring to me is what led up to that point. So let's say in Katerina's example, for here's an individual who decided, you know, early to take swimming and probably at about 12 or 13 to decide she wanted to become a Paralympian. So this just wasn't the two minutes at the 
podium, you know, in Rio after a gold medal performance at breaststroke, it was those 10, 11, 12 years leading up to that point that really brought her there. So for me, that's testament to character. That's testament to the kind of focus when one wants something to do something. So it's that real channeling of intense effort, focus, desire, wanting to do something extraordinary and be something extraordinary and unleashing all your talent. And, and so when I see our athletes, or in this case, Katarina, because I saw her on the podium in Rio, um, I just go, there's a moment in time that has such an incredible backstory. So to represent Team Canada, who we are as a nation and a country, I can't think of any other better representation than that. I gotta say, I really admire Katarina's decision to stay in Canada. It would be seriously hard to turn down an opportunity to make over a million dollars for winning a gold medal, but loyalty is a key characteristic of Katarina's personality. And along with that is her determination. I spoke with her older sister, Miranda, and she shared more about that deep determination, something that Katarina showed at a very early age. Even when she was really young, she was very strong-willed and determined child. There wasn't anything that she wouldn't try. If she saw another kid doing it, she was gonna do it. She didn't seem to let on that she was discouraged by only having one arm. She did everything she possibly could that if she saw another kid doing it, she was doing it. 100%, no questions asked. Might take her a couple minutes to figure out how to do it, but she was doing it. This determination is not only a key characteristic in being an elite athlete, but specifically in becoming an elite athlete with a disability. And that determination has certainly paid off. I've noticed through multiple conversations with different para-athletes that in addition to being extremely determined, many speak from a place of self-acceptance and complete love for their body. They feel comfortable being in their skin and completely owning their disability. It's just part of them. It's who they are. Katarina is a great example of this. Her family has played a big part in helping her adopt this mentality. Her mom, Lisa, shares more about how they fostered this self-acceptance in Katarina growing up. Especially in our culture, like we're from originally from India, you know, you have a disabled child, you're kind of hidden away sort of a thing. And um, people tend to kind of consider it a bad omen for the family and that sort of thing. That's the old and traditional way of thinking if there's a disability in the family. But I have said, no, we're going to break the cycle. And even as a child, I would dress her up in sleeveless outfits. And so she was very comfortable with herself. We never treated her anything any differently or anything like that, but we never deterred her from trying out anything she wanted. If she said, you know, I wanted to try that, we enrolled her in it and let her try it and let her do it her way because only she would know how to handle things her way. And um, we never deterred her. We actually, we were very open about it. And I think that she developed her confidence in herself and always wanted to prove to herself that she could do it. 
Sometimes she could do it better than children who had two arms. When she goes and gives speeches, that's a message she brings about. Hey, you can do it. The drive is what you need. I asked Katerina if she prefers to use the term disability or if she has other language that she uses. She had always used the term disability until a recent talk at a school opened her eyes to a new term and way of thinking about the world. It wasn't until recently that I was talking to a bunch of school kids and the principal was telling the students how everyone is different and they don't see them as having any disabilities whatsoever. They call it exceptionalities. An amazing, amazing word to use. If you think about the word disability, people are like, you think someone's at a disadvantage in some area when in fact it's people just have different abilities. And I'm on the Disability Council for Newfoundland and Labrador. And we took the word disability and said, it's seeing the ability in disability. So just looking at everyone's abilities that they have and what they can bring to the table and not counting anybody out for what they lack and uh, seeing for what they can actually bring to the table. Self-acceptance is a huge part of Katerina's platform. And as her mom said, she encourages this message in speeches and conversations she has with the public. But this message isn't just for those with disabilities. It's for everyone. Katerina shares some insight into how she came to this place of self-acceptance. I realized I needed to accept myself and love myself before I kind of let other people into my kind of world and get them to see what my world's about. And I think that it kind of stems from there, but I think that kind of relates to everybody. For everyone to accept themselves as who they are, for what they have, their capabilities, everything like that, I think that's like the first big step. And once they realize and they accept that of themselves, everything else will start falling into place. because. If you want to live a really healthy lifestyle and be a healthy you mentally, physically, the first thing is you have to love and accept yourself for who you are. Katarina has an incredible rounded set of values for what it means to not only participate, but also the responsibility to have voice. Um, I often use the phrase, the personal is political. And although that sounds like a big phrase, it's as simple for me as you have a voice, you have a commitment to do what's right and stand for what's right. Outside of the pool, I watch Katerina, her commitment to uh, schools and speaking out to schools about what's important. She speaks about her experience, about her commitment in life. Disability is one part of it, but it doesn't define her. Katerina's message of self-acceptance is so needed in today's culture, where we're all bombarded with pictures in magazines and via social media with this illusion of the perfect body. This video is called How to Get the Perfect Body because I wanted to show you guys postures you need to be doing every single day to get the perfectly structured body. Not just from not so much their face, but what their body is. Like, they always complain, like, oh, I'm too chubby, or like, oh, I look like I this. Like, I wish that, like... My mom says I'm skinny or something, but not all the time that makes you really think that you're actually skinny because it's from your mom or your dad. And they just tell you the best things about you. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. And so I wear black leggings because 
I feel they make me look small or skinny. And if you don't have the perfect body or the body that you want, somewhere out there, there's the cure. There's the perfect diet for you. Or Photoshop culture has us all comparing ourselves to celebrities, to models, to athletes who have access to the highest levels of culinary cuisine and personal training. Yet very few of us can fit into the models that this fitness and diet culture have created. Healthy doesn't come in a one-size-fits-all Happy Meal. A healthy lifestyle is very different for every single person. For me, my healthy lifestyle is I have to be training every day, except for Sundays. Sundays I take a break, but every day I'm always training. And for me, I feel good after I've been training. And if I don't train, I don't feel good. But being able to train and then also being able to study so I'm gaining knowledge there and I go to when I go to the gym when I go to work I'm interacting with different people so I'm getting my interaction skills and interpersonal skills there for me that's my what my healthy lifestyle is and that might not be the same thing for somebody else for someone else being able to go for a walk in the evenings or in the mornings for 15 20 minutes that's a healthy lifestyle for them, and that's good. I mean, being able to get out and work out even just a little bit, whether it's walking, running, doing anything, I, anything physically active is great, great work. And being able to also stay on top of your obligations and your different tasks throughout the day, whether you're a mom, whether you're a university student, it doesn't matter, but having that balance of being active, and taking care of everything else all falls into that. Notice that Katerina's description of healthy isn't follow this diet or do this type of workout X number of days a week or you can only eat low carbs or paleo. Healthy looks different to everyone and it's not just limited to the physical. It's emotional, mental, relational. They're all connected. I'm not a health expert, nor will I pretend to be one, but I'm a 32-year-old woman where the pressure to look a certain way is real. And while the voice of self-acceptance and body positivity is out there, it's not loud enough. Or maybe I just need to tune out large chunks of our society. In the meantime, I want to amplify someone whose voice on self-acceptance and whole person health is being heard. And like Katarina's, is making a real difference. I lead with love by being as authentic as I can be, by being true to myself. And in doing so, it allows me to relate to all souls and see, I hope, them for who they truly are, um, the authentic essence of their own light and love. There are so many poses that I love and loathe at different times in my life. And I would imagine that right now, the poses that are most meaningful in my world would be restorative poses. One of the first things that I was committed to, once I got a little bit more authority, once I got a little bit more power within the industry, meaning they saw that I could sell a sports bra, whatever they wanted. The first thing that I did was put it in my contract that you could not Photoshop my body or my face. This is Sean Korn, internationally acclaimed yoga instructor, public speaker and activist. Shauna is deeply passionate about self-acceptance and shares her journey of fighting back against the societal pressures of conformed beauty that she's faced in her career. 
one of the things that they did early on was they would always, I have a scar that runs through one of my eyebrows and I've had it since I was six months old. I always say that when I was a kid, my hair looked like it does now. My teeth are as big as they are now. I had the scar running through my eyebrow. And so I was very self-conscious about the scar because it was much more evident as a child and I used to cover it up all the time. So I'd wear makeup in it until I got older and realized that I didn't want to do that and it was ridiculous. But one of the things that they would do was Photoshop my eyebrow and give me a, you know, a regular eyebrow. So I had to say, no, you, you can't, you gotta leave my face as it is. You gotta leave my body as it is. I couldn't change my boobs, my waist, my neck, my butt, my thighs, my belly, nothing. I, I don't know of a lot of examples of Photoshop that if you're looking at the broader narrative is necessarily positive. If I'm seeing a young person alter their image lightening their skin or you know making their boobs bigger thinner whatever they're doing they've received messages that again are telling them that they're not enough and if they change what is they'll be more lovable more desirable more sexual more something other than who they are i'm not quick to judge anybody at all where they're at because i recognize it's a process that one has to go through and if they're a young person doing that and my hope is that there are adults around them that are encouraging them lovingly to step fully into who they are and that push back gently about the impact of these images and get curious about why they would feel uncomfortable presenting themselves and inviting them into that level of reflection since 1999, I've been on over 40 magazine covers. This year alone, I've been on two, and I'm 53 years old. And I still get triggered. There's still moments where I look at a picture and I'm like, oh God. But then I go inside myself. It's like, where did that messaging come from? That I'm still like cringing if something doesn't seem perfect. That's how indoctrinated it is. Indoctrinated is the perfect word to describe the messaging that we've been unconsciously internalizing our entire lives. The message that there's a certain mold for your age, gender, race, your everything. And if you don't fit in that mold, then you're not fill in the blank, healthy, beautiful, competent. Brands rely on this discontentment to get us to buy products so that we can attain whatever it is we're trying to attain with our appearance. Sean speaks to this as well. Happiness is commodified in a way that's never attainable because there's never enough of anything to fill that void. It doesn't matter how skinny I get, how blonde I get, how perfect I get. Without a strong sense of individual spiritual self, I'll always be grasping for these things that are temporal, that change for my happiness. And I think that the media knows this and keeps us in that addiction of not enoughness so that they can get our dollar. Sean speaks openly about aging in the public eye and the pressure that media puts on her to look a certain way, to hide certain features of who she is that show her age. But she chooses not to conform and instead insists that her natural features are put forward and shown as they really are, even if she doesn't always look how others want her to. I'm 53 years old, I'm perimenopausal, my body is changing, it's doing, it's like a second puberty and my yoga practices change. And every day I get on the mat and my commitment is to be with this new body. 
it's instead of long for the body that I had, the strength that I had, it's like, oh, who are you? Boobs and belly and hips? Like, who are you? And, and what, what story wants to be told? And what makes me viable in my teaching is that I go through that process that includes discomfort and fear and, and inadequacy and surrender. And I offer that same inquiry to my students. Not that like, okay, students, I got this. Here's what has to happen. It's like, no, I'm in this and it is uncomfortable and I'm with my shadow, but this is what we pray for. I'm choosing in this lifetime at this age to let myself grow old as my physical body intends it to be and try not to buy into the paradigm that exists that tells me that somehow the way in which I look is not acceptable. Sean radiates self-acceptance and reminds us that there's no quick fix. It's a journey and it falls in line with Katerina's message of self-love. That in order to live and embrace a healthy lifestyle, we first have to accept and love who we are. Katerina's story is a helpful reminder to stop berating ourselves and instead to love and accept who we are. We're each enough just as we are. Katerina uses her platform to encourage others in the journey of self-acceptance and love. She leaves us with a few encouraging words. Dream big and boldly. And if you have any naysayers, to use that as fuel to push you forward. Just reach for your dreams, for sure. Thanks for joining us on Flame Bears, the woman athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. Be sure to tune in to the next episode where we speak with Ida Jacobson of the Danish rowing team about adapting to change and identity in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Massive welcome to my new rockstar teammates, Maddie and Michelle. So pumped to work with you both and to the Harvard iLab for all of your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe on your listening platform so you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, please leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Catch you on our next episode of Flame Bears.